The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. Hallelujah. Good morning, everybody. Say good morning to your neighbor to the left and to the right. Today we are in the fourth part of words to live by. I get asked time and again that, Pastor, why can't we have um, a God to do it again service like weekly, you know, like or monthly, you know? Oh, I mean, it's always powerful, amazing release of God's presence and anointing and power, you know, and, and, and all that if we do then, you know, you know what follows, right? You know, and it is important that we continue to have our GWDIs, you know, because it, it, it affords us all the, the, the benefit of pressing into God, experiencing the person and the power of, of Jesus, you know. However, however, while that is the basis, in, 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 if you will, of our faith, that our faith will not be based on, on the excellencies of, of man's wisdom, but on the power of God. However, our lives can only be built on the word of God. That is why we follow up every GWDI season with seasons of teaching, of, of, of pressing into the word to build up our lives and establish our faith in, in God. So, Pastor, what are you saying? What I'm saying is this. While your faith should be on the reality of the person and power of God, it's only a life that is built on the word that endures. Don't build a tent around experiences. Build your life on the on the word hallelujah so listen to the words to live by everybody say words to live by and today in part four we are looking at the future words to live by as it pertains to the future the, the truth is that the rest of your life is in the future huh. your life that is remaining is not in your past. So don't let your past determine and affect your future. Your past is past. Your future is ahead of you. And the rest of your life is where? Is in your future. So let the past go. And the more things change, the more in this world, as we look at the future, I, I mean, for a lot of us, if you look at the news and listen to what's going on in social media or, or mainstream media, you know, we are like, what does the future hold? That's what happens if all your source of information about the future is the media and the world and your friends. I'm here to declare to you that the future is bright. The future is awesome. The future is amazing. Praise the name of the Lord. These words to live by about the future, we need to wrap our minds around it and see all that God has for us. Oh Lord, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. 
a shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. If you understand that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever holds your future, the future is bright. So what do we know about the future? For starters, we look at three things about the future. Then we press into the deeper part of the message. What do we know about the future? The first thing is this, that God knows everything that will happen. God knows everything that will happen in the future. If you are on God's side, you have nothing to fear because God knows everything and is in control of everything. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13, Hebrews 4 13 says, nothing in creation is hidden from God's sight. Nothing. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his, his eyes. So God is timeless. God is not linear. Everyone say God is timeless. God can be in the past. God can be in the present. And God can be in the future all at the same time. Psalm 139, Psalm 139 verse 16 says, The days allotted to me had all been recorded. Where are they recorded? In your book. Before any of them ever began. So your life, my life, it's not an accident. There's nothing happening to you that God that is catching God by surprise. The second thing we need to understand about the future is that God's plan for your future is good. Your future is bright. Say amen in agreement with that statement that your future is bright. Jeremiah 29 verse 11. Jeremiah 29 11. The word of God says that I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to arm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God does not have a bad plan for you. The truth is this. God has thought more about your future than you have. Even before we were born, he was thinking about our future. It's already in the future. Number three, God will be with you every step of the way. That's very comforting. When I say your future is bright, you see, these are words to live by. <laughs> you, know? you know, because the truth is this. You may not always feel God's presence. But God is always present. God is not a feeling. God is a person. You may not always feel his presence, but it's always there. Hebrews 13, 5 to 6 says, keep your lives from, free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never. Everyone said, never. What does never mean? Never, never. <laughs> Never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? You see, if you are struggling with worry, 
you are struggling with depression or with anxiety. In my um, years of studying these areas, you know, as a pastor, as a counselor, as helping people, my conclusion is this. Behind anxiety, behind worry, behind every kind of, of, of distress is one thing, and that thing is fear. Check. Behind every form of depression, anxiety, hopelessness, is fear. It's fear. And guess what? Every fear is a misunderstanding of who God is and what he has said about you. What he has promised. Every fear, every fear you're experiencing right now is a misunderstanding of who God is and what he has said. If you understand that God has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Whew, what comfort, what comfort is that? I will never, never leave you. I will never forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Hallelujah. That's big, that's huge. So if you knew who God really is and you knew what he really promised, you won't be afraid. The reason you're afraid is you don't know who God really is. And I pray that God will open your eyes to see him. And as you press in, even listening to this sermon, God will reveal himself to you. And his words, these words that are words to live by. No wonder the psalmist would say in Psalm 46 that God is our refuge and strength. A very present help. It was a very present help. A very present help in time of trouble. So will we not fear. Even though the mountains quake. Even though the earth give way. God is within us. We will not be afraid. God will help us. And that right early. God is our refuge. And strength. Hallelujah. So the, the, the next six promises, the next six words, these words to live by that we're going to, we're going to be looking at are going to dramatically lower your fear factor. Why? Because they're going to reveal who God is to you and they're going to reveal what he has said. These words to live by concerning your future. Are you ready? Six of them. These are the guarantees of God for your future. They are words to live by. Hashtag WTLB. <laughs> words to live by. Words to live by. Number one, God guarantees to guide me when I am confused. God promises. God's promises are his guarantees. God promises to guide me when I am confused. You see, the truth is that one thing 
that you can predict about your future is that you are going to have a lot of decisions to make. That's constant. You know, you can predict that about your future already. You are going to have a lot, a lot of decisions to make. Some of them are difficult decisions. Some of them are confusing decisions. But guess what? God has promised to guide you through those difficult decisions and confusing decisions. It can be decisions about your job, about your businesses, or your business. It can be about the city. Should I go? Should I go to the city? Should I, you know, you, you can't just say, you know, this is the season of jackpot. Everybody is, is giant. <laughs> ah, should I jackpot or should I stay put? God will guide you. Don't move if God has not sent you to move. But God has promised to guide you and he will guide you. Should I buy this house or should I not? Should I move houses or should I not move houses? Should I marry this girl or should I marry this man? If you're, if you're female, should I marry this man? Difficult decisions. But God has promised to guide us. Proverbs chapter 3 5 and 6. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord. Trust in who? In the Lord. Did he say trust in yourself with all your heart? Nope. It says trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not trust in your friends with all your heart. Not trust in social media with all your heart. Not trust in CNN with all your heart. Trust in who? The Lord. Not trust in your bank account with all your heart. Trust with who? Trust in who, rather? The Lord. The Lord. Never rely on what you think you know. Remember the Lord in everything you do. And he will show you. He will show you the right way. That's so comforting. That God is saying that if I trust him with all my heart and I do not rely on, on what I think I know and in all my ways I remember him that he will show me the right path. I can do that. Can you do that? Can you do that? The second guarantee of God for my future, for your future, these words to live by, words to anchor your life and your future on is this. God guarantees to help me when I am tempted. You see, there's good news and there's bad news. Well, not bad news, but you know, what we would consider not so good news. So let's start with the, the not so, what we will consider not so good news. What we consider the bad news is this. You are never going to outgrow temptation. <laughs> it's like bad news. You know, because many times you're like, ah, a time will come when I will be above temptation. You are, it's never going to happen. You, as long as you're on earth, you're in this flesh, you are never going to outgrow temptation. So, what's the good news? The good news is this. Once you connect to Jesus and you follow Jesus, 
you will get stronger and stronger. So you will be able to overcome temptations and overcome over and over and over again. So while you may not be able to avoid it or over outgrow it, you will always be able to overcome it. And so it is and shall be in your life in the mighty name of Jesus. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10 13 says, remember that the temptation that come into your life are no different from what others experience. <laughs> no different. I was saying no different. It is, your case is not special. As much as you would think it is, it is not. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and God is faithful. Everybody say, God is faithful. God is faithful. He will keep temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. Ah, that's the faithfulness of God. It will keep temptation from becoming so strong that you cannot stand up against it. Says, when you are tempted, it will show you a way out so that you will not give in to it. Do I get an amen? So God promises, God guarantees to help me when I am tempted. The truth is this. There are areas you will be tempted in for the rest of your life. Say, Pastor, oh no, I want to be, I want to get to a spiritual level where I am above them. I've never tempted at all. Uh, sorry, that's not going to happen. <laughs> you know? Oh, so, so what are you saying? What I'm saying is this. If you look at the story of Jesus, Jesus that was while on earth, 100% God and 100% man was tempted. Jesus was tempted. Jesus was tempted. And guess what? In Luke 4, when Jesus was tempted, you would think that that was it for the rest of his life. No. In verse 13, when he overcame the temptation, the word of God says that Satan left Jesus for a season. What does for a season mean? For a season means that he's, he came back. He's going to come back. You know, at that place, it says that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, and he did not sin. Whew. That's the difference between Jesus and, and us. Jesus was tempted, but Jesus did not sin. Jesus did not outgrow temptation. You will not outgrow temptation. You won't, as long as you're here. You know, um, I know someone that used to drink a lot, used to drink so much that when he tried to stop drinking by himself, he actually slumped and, and, and collapsed. He, was, he had to be rushed to the hospital and the doctor said to him, that there was so much alcohol in his system that he cannot just stop. He has to be stopping gradually. But guess what? When Jesus came into his life, he lost the taste for alcohol completely. One day he said he just opened his fridge and, and he heard the, the, the knocking of bottles and he was like, oh, these drinks are still here. 
guess what? If he lives long, a time will come where the enemy will still tempt him with alcohol. I mean, it's, it's, that's how it is. That's how it works. But as he follows Jesus, he will get, he will get stronger and stronger to keep saying no and no and no. It's a continuous thing that we have to keep winning. A continuous battle that we have to keep winning. For some of us, it's arrogance. God has delivered you from a pompous spirit, a prideful heart, an arrogant spirit. But guess what? The enemy will still come and try and hit you at that spot. You need to be strong in God and keep overpowering him. It is not once delivered from temptation, forever delivered from temptation. And the list can go on. For some people, it's depression. God has set you free from depression. You have to stay and stand in your victory. For some people, it's anxiety. God has set you free from anxiety. You have to stay and stand in your victory. 2 Thessalonians 3, 3. 2 Thessalonians 3, 3. The word of God says to us that the Lord is faithful and he will give you strength. God will give you strength. And will protect you. God will protect you from the evil one. He will. So, when you think about it, you cannot, you can only hide in God's protection and deploy God's strength every single time. You are not responsible for the thought that comes into your mind, but you are responsible for what you do with the thought, what you do with it. So, you need to deploy God's strength to overcome it. The fact that a thought comes through your mind doesn't mean that you have to yield to it. If you do, then you are responsible. That is when you are responsible. So temptation, in other words, what I'm saying is temptation is, is just an idea. Temptation is just an idea. Temptation it's Satan giving you an idea. The enemy giving you a suggestion. It is just a suggestion. It is not an instruction. The fact that you have an idea that is not of God, it is not an instruction to disobey God. No. It is an idea that the enemy is using to lure you. I think it was Martin Luther that said that you may not be able to stop a bird from flying over your, your head you, you can't control that, mostly. But you can stop the bird from landing on your head, perching on your head, building a nest on your head. I mean, you can. That is within your control. So what I'm saying is this. The good news is this. It's not sin to be tempted. Oh, yes, it's not. But it is a sin to give into temptation. It's not sin to be tempted. The story of Jesus. Jesus was tempted. That's not sin. It's not sin to be tempted. It's sin to give in. Jesus was tempted in every way, but without sin. It is sin to, to give in. So, when Satan gives you an idea, that's called temptation. Like we've shared before, but when God gives you an idea, it's called inspiration. 
what you make your contemplation will inadvertently become your reality, become your actions. If you make temptation your contemplation, it will become your reality inadvertently. If you make inspiration your contemplation, it will become reality inadvertently. In other words, if you, you, you can pass by someone and feel attracted to the person, burn it, don't pursue it. It's just temptation. What you do with it will determine whether it's going to be a sin or not. Now, imagine the privilege of making a, his inspiration our contemplation. When it is God's inspiration that is your contemplation, imagine the beauty of our lives. Imagine how powerful your life will be. So what you make your contemplation, temptation or inspiration, will inadvertently become your actions. Many times we don't like our actions. We don't like what we are doing or we don't like how our lives are turning out. But we want to change our actions. No, there's no need trying to change your actions. Your actions are just a product of what you are imbibing. So change what you are imbibing. Change what you are consuming. Change what you are soaking in. And your output will change. Temptation and inspiration are just attractions. That's what they are. When you get an inspiration from God, it's just an attraction. You get an inspiration for a business idea from God, it's an attraction. You, you can be drawn to it. Then you can sit with it. You can explore it. You can make it your contemplation and, and brood on it and plan and, and get investors. At the end of the day, boom, it becomes a reality. And people say you are an overnight success. <laughs> it's the same with temptation. If it's just an attraction. If you pursue it, you are going to get death. That's why the Bible says to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So temptation or inspirations are just offers. They are just offers. You are being offered something. You have the right to say no or to say yes. Temptation is not an instruction. It's just an offer. It's an opportunity. Inspiration is also not an instruction. Well, you can make it one, but it's an attraction. It's an opportunity, an opportunity for growth. Both are opportunities for growth. Both temptation and inspirations are opportunities for growth. They are attractions. They are attractions. So what am I saying? There are many things you are doing that you cannot afford. Many of us are indebted financially, emotionally, spiritually because we are doing things we cannot afford to do. Can you afford not to tight, for instance. I say, Pastor, oh, when I check the bottom line, you know, I can't, where will the tight come from? I really can't afford to tight. I ask you, can you afford not to tight? <laughs> you can't. You can't. You can't. Attraction is not a sin. 
action is. And you are not responsible for your attraction. You are responsible for your actions. You are not responsible for your attractions. You are responsible for your actions. We are all attracted to different things. We are. We are. That's why we we'll go for a buffet and on the same, we we'll take our plates on buffet, I'm seeing ribs, nice barbecued ribs. I'm seeing shaki. I'm seeing bokoto. I'm seeing nice pounded yam. If I want to take a second plate. Meanwhile, my friend, I won't mention the name, all he's taking is salad. Olives. I'm like, he's not attracted to Bokoto. <laughs> he's not attracted to Fuku, Edo. You know, I mean, if you don't, if you don't know what those things means, if you don't know what they means, they are different parts of, 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 of Rikau. <laughs> you know, but all he's taking is salad. Then he went and took, he took pineapple. He took apple. Ah, I said that. May I not? <laughs> I felt that it was wasting an opportunity to eat. Meanwhile, I was packing my plate with, don't judge me, don't judge me, with nice, you know, by the end of the day, life is like a buffet. We are attracted to different things, but everybody has an attraction. But guess what? Your attraction does not define you. The more you press onto God, the less your attractions that are ungodly have no influence and power over you in the name of Jesus. You are not responsible for your attractions. You are responsible for your actions. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. My mother conceived me in sin. I'm wired in iniquity. There are certain things that because of our wiring, we, are, we have different propensities. But guess what? Those propensities cannot and should not rule you. By the power of Christ, you have power over, over them. So, Pastor, what are you saying? What I'm saying is this, that you can't control what gets your attention, but you can control what keeps your attention. You can't control what, I can't control what gets my attention, but I can control what keeps my attention. Oh, yes, I can. You can. You can. You may not be able to control what gets your attention. You know, a lot of men have roving eyes in the sense that when you see, you know, a beautiful thing is skirt, you know, they are always, you know, sometimes also women too, you know, have rubbing eyes, you know, when they see a well-built, handsome man, they look once, but they are thinking about him 10 times for most, most women. The key thing is this. Your attention may be gotten, but don't let it keep your attention. I can't control what gets my attention, but I can control what keeps my attention. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. I will not lost after a woman. You can train yourself by the grace of God not to 
lost after anybody. You can train yourself. You can't control what gets your attention. But you can control what keeps your attention. When we understand that, getting your attention sometimes is outside of your control. But keeping your attention is what you can control. A lot of people feel ashamed when they get attracted. But listen, God is setting you free today. It's just an attraction. It doesn't define you. Walk away from it. That's why Paul will say to Timothy, flee from beautiful lust. Flee. Once you spot it, run away from it. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the word of God says that, remember that the temptations that come to you in your life are not different from what other people are experiencing. It's common. So if it is common, when you are tempted, you should have, a, you should have someone, your spouse preferably, that you can confide in and say, oh, I, I'm, tempted, I'm praying that the time will come in, in our marriages where wives can be open with their husband and say, oh, I saw that young man, you know, and I was tempted. Husband, please pray for me. Or husband can come and sit to his wife. I saw that lady and I was tempted. Please pray for me. Say amen. Says, oh, but pastor, that will be trouble. I'm praying that a time will come that will be emotionally stable. So, if it's common, it means that you, we are men of like passions. It's easy for you to talk about it. Find someone to talk to. Stop growling under it. In fact, if you can't talk to someone about it, it shows that it's already controlling your life. Talk to someone about it. Someone rightly said that if there were more confessions of temptation, there would be less need to confess sin. If there is more confession of temptation, there will be less confession of sin. So when you confess your temptation and you pray one for another, you are strengthened. You know, someone would say to me, oh, someone, I mean, a lot of people have said to me in the past, I mean, sometimes, yeah, not even far past, that, oh, pastor, it was too strong for me. The temptation was too strong. I could not resist it. I love you, man. I love you, sister. But that's a lie. <laughs> because the word of God says, the word of God that we read, that God is faithful not to put upon you what you cannot bear. So it means that there's no temptation that you are facing that is too much for you. That's number one. Number two, God is faithful not only to, not only not to bring the one you cannot bear, to also make a way out of it. So you always have a way out of it. The only thing that Satan can do to a Christian is just to make suggestions. The power lies in you. Do I get an amen? The third guarantee of God for your future and for my future is this. 
God guarantees to support me in trouble. They're like, Pastor, is temptation not trouble? No, temptation is not trouble. Why? Because temptation is within, trouble is without. Trouble is outside. You know, temptation is internal, trouble is external. Temptation is about my character, trouble is about my circumstance. So, external trouble can be relationships, can be financial, can be physical. People will say, Pastor, now that I'm a Christian, shouldn't everything in my life be perfect? No, this is not heaven. Everything will not be perfect until we get to, to heaven. Have you noticed that everything is broken in this world? The weather is broken. The economy is broken. <laughs> Relationships are broken everywhere. Why? Why? Because of sin and because of the poor choices of, 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 of men. You know? Talking to a lady that is... Um, close to 40 or just about 40 and she she was saying to me that you know um, she's seen a guy that really responsible guy and I was happy that I praise God oh, this lady is going to get married soon you know and and she said to me that pastor I'm, I have to I have to tell him I have to send him away I I I, I have to, I'm like well, why what did he do she says pastor I can't I can't do this I'm like okay so tell me what's the issue I can't I can't do this What's the issue? Said, Pastor, it's from a broken home. I can't marry a man from a broken home. I'm like, really? I said, my sister, let me tell you, every home is broken. <laughs> so, so, Pastor, I reject that. She just said, listen, listen, listen. Let me explain. Let me unpack it. Because two, every human being is broken. Two people coming together in a marriage Two broken people coming together. You are going to have a broken situation. But pastor, my father and my mother remain married for life. Those are the heroes. And that's how it's supposed to be. We are supposed to stick together in our brokenness. So those that didn't and those that did, everybody is broken. She was like, oh, wow. So yeah, so... It is now your decision and his decision to stick it out. And that is where your children can be proud of you and say, my dad and my mom stuck it out. Do I get an amen? <laughs> so we see in Isaiah 43, verse 2 to 3, that God assures and guarantees to support me in trouble. In trouble. It says, when you go through deep waters, great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. Now, listen. It did not say you will not get wet. I see people getting frantic because they are getting wet. God did not say you won't get wet. God just said you will not drown. Don't worry about getting wet. You are going to get wet. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine to get wet. When you go through the waters, you will get wet. But you will not drown. Now, stay with me. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. It did not say you will not get hot. When you go through the fire, so oh, it's too hot, Pastor. I'm, I'm, I mean, this is uncomfortable. God did not say you will not be uncomfortable. God says that it will not burn you up. 
Number four, now this is huge. God promises to repay those that hurt me. God promises to repay those that hurt you. God promises to deal with those that have dealt with you. Wow. Now listen, this, I've studied this for, I mean, I could say decades. This concept of judgment of those that hurt us. I've come to the conclusion that it is consistent with the spirit of the New Testament as we see the shadow in the Old Testament that God will repay everyone that hurts you. Because if you check the world today, the world is getting more and more hateful. The world is getting meaner. The world is getting more rude, more uncivil, more unjust, more disloyal. The truth is, life is not fair. Good people suffer. That's, that's just the truth. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says, Never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God. For he said, he will. Everybody say will. He will repay those who hurt you. Those who deserve it. How do you know those who deserve it? Several ways. He that repays evil, good, evil for good. Someone has done good to you. You repay it with evil. Evil will never depart from your house. God will supervise it. That's what he says. But you have a duty to leave it to God. Don't hold anyone in offense. Don't be bitter. Let your heart be washed clean. It's painful. It's hurtful. But forgive and leave it to God. God will supervise it. That every one of them will eat grass. In the name of Jesus. The NIV puts it this way. It says, leave room for God's wrath. <laughs> Many times the problem with us is that we don't leave room for God. We, we, we are occupying the room. God says get out of the way. Leave the room. Don't, don't meddle. Don't play their game. Let me be God. When you get out of the, of the way, God's wrath is released. Many times, it means that we sometimes are delaying the release of God's wrath on our enemies. So get out of the way. Let God be God. God loves you. God loves us. And sometimes love fights. Sometimes love defends. Imagine you are with a, with a babe, with a girl, you know, that you say you love. And you guys are walking, you know, having a good time, you know. Then there came someone and attacks your babe. What would you do if the person attacks your babe and you run away? <laughs> girl, you don't need a prophet to tell you. Maybe you are walking down the path and maybe a stray dog shows up and tries to attack your girl. What do you do? Don't you kill the dog? Say, ah, pastor, ah, we, we are afraid of dog in our family. <laughs> you know, I can't put myself in danger. Listen, love fights. Love defends. You can say life is not fair. And I agree, life is not fair, but God is just. God is just. The amplified version of, of this says, 
live the way open for God's wrath and his judicial righteousness. Stop blocking God's way. Many times, God wants to deal with your enemies. You are blocking the way with, with unforgiveness. No, there's no need. There's just no need for forgiveness. But justice will be served in the name of Jesus. God's wrath will be released upon the heads of everybody that has stressed you out, that have caused you pain. In the name of Jesus, everyone that has rewarded your good with evil, God's justice will come upon their heads in the name of Jesus. It's judicial righteousness. 2 Thessalonians 1.6 2 Thessalonians 1.6 says, After all, it's only just for God to repay with distress those who distress you. It's only just in the name of Jesus. Everyone that has distressed you, God will repay them with distress. Say amen. In the name of Jesus, everyone that has distressed God's free house, God will repay them with distress. In the name of Jesus. Because harvest is always more than seeds. They've sown a wind. They are going to reap a whirlwind. In the mighty name of Jesus. It's in the Bible. Just say amen. Just say amen. Just say amen. And what? And give you relief. Relief. Why? Because you have been distressed. And to give relief to you who are so distressed. God has guaranteed in my future to repay those that hurt me. God has guaranteed in our future to distress those that distress us. Isn't that beautiful? Can't you see that the future is bright? <laughs> Number five, God guarantees to reward my service and generosity. Oh, this is huge. We talked about it last week. Mostly a lot about it last week, so we're not going to spend a lot of time here. So I'm just going to breeze through it. Hebrews 6.10 says, God is not unfair. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love for him by helping his people as you continue to give. Like I said, this is how to spell love. How do you spell love? G-I-V-E, give. Luke 16, 9 says, Luke 16, 9, Jesus speaking, says, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends for eternity. In this way, your generosity stores up a reward for you in heaven. So that's how it is. God has wired the universe in such a way that your life will never make sense until you give it away. Until you figure this out, your life isn't going to make sense. You look at your life and it's not making sense. This is the key. That's how God has wired it. That your life is never going to make sense until you give it away. Until you give it away. He that tries to preserve his life, we always lose it. We always lose it. And listen, guys, I make no apologies. I do not make any apology in saying that maybe, maybe the most significant thing you will do with your life is to serve God in God's favorite house. So what you do here in God's favorite house will outlast your career, will outlast your hobbies, will outlast everything else. And I'll, and I'll show you. 100 years from now, You'll be existing 100 years from now. From now, you may not be existing here on earth, but you'll be alive. 
somewhere. <laughs> You'll be existing somewhere. 100 years from now, and I pray to heaven that you will be. Because if you're already, everyone that's listening to me should not be around 100 years from now. If you are 15, 100 years from now, 115, well, maybe you can still be around. But if you are 40, 100 years from now, if you still want to be around, more grace to your elbow, my, my brother. <laughs> so 100 years from now, most of us are in eternity with the Lord Jesus. 100 years from now. Now think about it. Will it matter what shoe you wore 100 years from now? Will it matter the car you drive 100 years from now? Will it matter where you worked 100 years from now? Will it matter? The only thing that would matter is how you have contributed to the lives of people, how you have changed people's lives for eternity. That is what will matter 100 years from now. Now think about it. You are there in heaven and somebody walks up to you and says, oh, Angela, let's say that's your name. Thank you, thank you. And you're like, I, I've made friends in eternity. This is a new friend in eternity. I don't even know what I've done. You say, you were one of the people that paid the price for God's favorite house. You are one of the people that built God's favorite house. You are one of the people, even though you were gone decades before I was born, it was your seed that made room for me to accept Jesus and be in heaven today. That's big. That's, that's huge. Imagine people that do not speak your language come to you and say, because of your generosity, because you served, because you were an usher, you didn't see me, but you gave me the card when I gave my life to Jesus. Thank you. You, you took care of me in, in Syrac. Oh, I don't know you. I was that little boy that was in the class. You were so gentle with me, even though I was naughty. You packed my car. You changed my tires while I was in service. You, you, and I heard the word of God that changed my life. It is what you do in serving God that lasts for eternity. If someone comes to you with any of these stories, do you think that it will be worth it? Do you think it will be worth it? Of course it will be. Do you know anything more important to do with your life than that? Than to be in heaven, eternity, and you have tons and tons of people coming to you to say thank you. Thank you for preaching the gospel. Thank you for standing strong. Thank you for not giving up when you should have given up. Thank you. We knew what you were going through, but you kept a smile in church and you strengthened me. Thank you. So the question is, am I going to live my life for my desires or am I going to live my life for God? Number six, God guarantees to keep me saved until heaven. Wow. What a future that is secured in God. What a future. These are words to live by. God guarantees to keep me saved till heaven. I don't have to keep myself saved. I remember years ago when I gave my life to Jesus, one of the things that bothered me was, ah, maybe one day, I pray one day I don't backslide, one day I don't, you know. 
Then God showed me that unto him, I think it was Jude, unto him that is able to keep you from falling and present you blameless. How, how does God present anybody blameless? There is no one that will walk this earth that will be blameless by themselves. But he says, he is able to present me blameless before the throne of God. So that means the work of salvation will be achieved by him and not by me. Whew, that's huge. That's big. John 10, 28 says, Jesus speaking, says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. What does never mean? Never. And no one can snatch them out of your hands. So God is saying, no one can snatch you out of my hands. You might want to get out of God's hands, but, but God is not going to let you go. You may, you may say, oh, pastor, oh, I, I want to jump out of God's hands. Try it. You can't. You can't. He has the whole universe in his hands. Where do you want to jump to? <laughs> you will never be able to see the end of God's love. You will never. The truth is that we, we do not write our futuristic stories. We don't. We don't write, if, if, if I were to write my story, I won't write it the way it has played out. No, I would have written it in another way, in a more beautiful way, as far as I'm concerned. But you see, God is in charge of your future. You may lose the things that are precious to you, but what I'm saying by the word of God is that if you belong to Jesus, you cannot lose your salvation. Your salvation is secure. Everybody says secured. Is secured by the blood of Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.3 says, If we are faithless, says God remains faithful. He cannot disown himself. He cannot deny himself. Jesus paid for your sins, past, present, and future. It took me a while to even really embrace that. Because it, it, what I used to struggle with is that, ah, would this not make people have license to sin? You know, I, I have pastor friends that will never preach this. They know it because they are solid guys, you know, and I know them. They know this truth, but they will never preach it. The reason they will never preach it is that they say, ah, I will sound as if I am giving people license to sin. And I disagree. You are setting people free from the yoke of bondage, from the yoke of condemnation. That's what you are doing. It's no license to sin. In fact, if you've come to know Jesus and you are seeing what he has done for you as license to sin, it's questionable if you actually know him. <laughs> it's questionable if you actually know him. Because if you know him, you are in awe and appreciation of what he has done. Our sins, past, present, and future, taken care of by the precious and eternal blood of Jesus. First John 2, 2, I mean, beautiful, beautiful scripture. says, and he, the KJV, is the propitiation of our sins. Everybody say propitiation. I can't hear you say propitiation. <laughs> Big word, propitiation. What does that mean? 
Another translation says sacrifice, but sacrifice, you know, the, the English word struggles to, to convey this meaning. I read it in the Yoruba Bible. It means a tutu. <laughs> he is our etutu. Jesus is the etutu for our sins. Now, this is how etutu is. I, you know, to unpack etutu by itself, it's, 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 it's a whole series. Maybe we will do a whole series titled etutu. <laughs> it, it, it means it includes sacrifice, but it goes beyond sacrifice to what the, the, the blood of that sacrifice now becoming the seal for our redemption. So, is the seal of our redemption. But it's not just a seal, because a seal can become a seal. He shed his blood, and he used his blood to seal. So, you can use stamp to seal. It's a seal, but it is not a tutu, because it did not come from the, the there was no, there was no shedding of blood. And it was not, that seal was not done with the blood of the sacrifice. He gave me a seal, like the aim. He gave to me a seal of the great debt I owe. And as he gave, he smiled and said, always remember me. My grandmother would be singing this way. Oh, Fumile, Didi. Besela Timoje. Botifumi, O Sireri. Bema Shigbag, Bemi. Now you can sing the English version along. Mowo Mo Sireri. Motuwo Mo Sokun. Eri ifere simini otojuretiti. How can you play with this? How can this possibly be a license for sin? I looked at it and smiled. I looked again and wept. The earnest of his love for me, I'll ever treasure it. Whew. Everyone say, a to two. <laughs> Propitiation. Says, it's more than a seal. It's more than a seal. That all the debt of sin was paid by Lord Emmanuel. What a beauty. That is the good news, my brother. That is the good news, my sister. And that's why Paul would say in Philippians 1.6, be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, we carry it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He guarantees to keep me saved 
until the end. No fear. No condemnation. The preciousness of the seal. I want to pray with you today. You're saying, Pastor, I want to be a partaker of this itutu, this propitiation. I want it to, to come upon me wherever you are on earth. If you are in the auditorium, I'm going to count to three. If you are online, I'm also the same counting to three. At the count of three, I want you to boldly, boldly put up your hand and say, Pastor, I want to be a part of this propitiation, this A22. I want it, the blood to speak for me, the eternal and precious blood of Jesus. One, two, three. Put up your hand over your head and accept this sacrifice. I'm going to hand over to the RP right now. <laughs> 